You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. So... Like I said, we are in our final part of our annual preaching series called Own It. And this week's message to sort of sign off and put the seal on this series where we have been talking about ownership, we're going to share a message with you called Own It Eternity. Own It Eternity. Now I'm going to read a verse to you and it is is a sobering assessment. James, in his letter to the church, in chapter 4, verse 14, says this. He says, How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? And then rather soberingly says, Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. Wow. Sobering. We've all experienced, probably for the first time in our lifetimes, a moment where collectively we think about eternity and about death because we all went to, either through the media or if you're Pastor Glynn in person, to the same funeral. It was the Queen's funeral, wasn't it? Just a few short weeks ago. And so we were all faced or confronted with the idea that Our life is short, it's temporary, and we found ourselves, as we only do really, or many of us only do, thinking about eternity. There's nothing like a funeral to make you stop and think, what is this all about? What's really important here? What's really going on here? If you've been part of our church for a long time, you may have heard me or Zoe, speak about our neighbour, David. David is an old guy who lives next door to us, and he's been, we've been on a, a journey with him, getting to know him over the years. We were kind of arch enemies at first, and then over time, he softened, and we became friends. And on Thursday, he passed away. And just like with the Queen's funeral, the seeing the the the, um, the council, the local council vehicles come to the house and remove their items, like his council-owned Zimmer frame they put in the back of the van, their council-owned special mattress they put in the back of the van. And it was kind of like, oh, it was so hard. Lynn's just thinking that life like ends. Let me give you some facts. It, it, By the time today has finished, 150,000 people worldwide will have died. Gone from this life into the next. And I know it's a bit of an atmosphere killer and it's a little bit of a mood killer, but the reason why we exist as a church is for people like that who are here today and potentially gone tomorrow that their eternity will be as it's always been designed, which is an eternity spent with God. 
Lynn's, you've got a party story. Everyone's got a party story that you would tell at a party to sort of impress or just kind of bring the room in. And I've heard you tell the story a few times, but I think the church want to hear it. Come on now. Um, we, like we said a second ago, we go into lots of high schools, but we play lots of festivals. And uh, we had this beautiful opportunity to go all the way to Houston, to the NRG Stadium, which is where they held the NFL Super Bowl. And there's 45,000 young people being flown in from the Lutheran Church. Now, if you know what the Lutheran Church is, it's, it's pretty straight. So I was expecting this to be like a, like a bit of, a, a bit of a, an atmosphere killer, but it wasn't. It was absolutely vibey. On the way to the, to the stadium, uh, we stopped off in Nashville to do some writing with some, some guys that write with people like Toby Mac and Newsboys and all those name-dropping things that I'm doing there right there for you. Um, and anyway, we did this writing session and uh, me and our guitarist, uh, we, we took off from Nashville and we're in a little two-by-two two plane, you know, the little small ones. I was probably sat as close as I am to Pastor Paul and uh, my guitarist, Rue, is sat over here. And I don't really like takeoff. Like, takeoff's not my favourite bit. My palms sweat, not a fan of it. But you know what happens on takeoff? Your head hits the back, your cheeks go back, rumbling down the runway. And I'm like, come on, we got this, Lynn. This is good. I'm on Netflix watching The Crown. And I've got my big headphones on. And uh, we get up, take off into the clouds, do, 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 through the clouds. And then you suddenly hit that sort of moment of full peace where the, the, it gets to altitude. We get up to 37,000 feet. And within about two seconds, the little, uh, the little lady, trolley, not trolley dolly, that's not the right word, is it? The trolley lady comes out and she gets to row three. And she suddenly stops, hits the anchors, clamps on, goes back, sits down, clamps herself in. I'm looking down the side of the aisle and I think, what's that all about? As soon as she does that, the plane lurched right and I'm staring at space. And then it suddenly lurched left and I'm staring at the floor and I'm like, holy cow, where are we going, where are we going past? Are we going through like a tornado or, you know, what are we trying to divert around? We sat and, and uh, she clamped herself in and the, the, the pilot comes on and he goes, yo, he's a pilot, he doesn't say that. He says, ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't say yo at all, does he? If you're a pilot in here, I'm so sorry. Who are you flying with, mate? <laughs> yo, airlines. <laughs> And, uh, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, um, we're going to have to make an emergency landing into Memphis. And I'm thinking, what, emergency landing? And, and as he says that, he says, listen, when we get to that moment where we say brace, 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 please adopt the position. Exactly. I'm like, oh, oh, what? Suddenly the, the, the plane's like this and, and it lurches forward. I headbutt the seat in front of me, enough for my Bose headphones to fly off in front. And I'm like, whoa, what was that? And the plane's this as we're, as we're cruising along. We had this moment for about a minute and a half where he said, we're going to have to get on earth as quick as possible. And the plane sort of leapt up a little bit and it came up like this, dipped. And in that moment, it just went into weightlessness. And I came out of my seat holding my seatbelt. I'm not a little guy, so I'm kind of like, what the heck? Get up, hit the aircon above me. And I'm thinking, what in the world is this? And the whole plane, for about a minute, silence. You could hear a pin drop. He then comes on, he says, ladies and gentlemen, this, this is going to hurt. It's going to hurt your chest, it's going to hurt your nose, it's going to hurt your ears, because we have to get down quick. That immediately, obviously, in my head, puts panic at the centre of my soul. And I'm floating like this, and the guy next to me looks, he looks, and I look at him, and I'm looking, and we're looking at each other. I look at Rue, my guitarist, and he does this, <laughs> with his hand. I'm like, put your blinking hand down, I'm not holding your hand. We're going to die. So we're like this, and then immediately, the plane starts to dip literally vertically towards earth. Now, within about 30 seconds, I'm like this, like his headphones everywhere. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? As we started to dip and we started to fall and you start to hear that noise, that engine noise, that noise, the whole plane erupted 
everybody started to scream. Mums, dads, ladies, gentlemen, the guy next to me, everybody's literally screaming out, oh my God, save me, Jesus Christ, what's going on? Lord Jesus, please help. I'm looking at the guy next to me and he's like this, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. The guy behind me is going, he's going, my ears, my ears. And I said, it's all right, he's got it. And I put 2 Corinthians 5.17. I put, if you're a new creation, if you're in Jesus, if Jesus is in you, the old has gone, the new is yet to come. He's got it, he's got it. And this guy's going, shut up. I'm like, I don't care. And it's literally the whole plane erupted. I'm kind of sat there and I looked at my watch and my heart rate went from 80 to 180 within about 30 seconds. And I literally went, oh my gosh, this is over. And I grabbed myself, I hugged myself. And I went, do you know what, Lord? If this is it, just really make it quick. Like bang, out, gone. And then I went, and Lord, I'm really sorry for everything I've done. Please look after Lucy and Jack and Willow. Please just, just look after them and I'll catch you on the other side. Amen. That was my prayer. And we're still hurtling towards, the, the uh, captain comes on, he says, ladies and gentlemen, we get, we're trying to get down as quick as possible. And then boom, out from the roof, the, uh, the oxygen mask fall down. It's oxygen mask, do, 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 just rattling as it goes. Guy next to me grabs his, puts this on. Guy behind me puts it on. You're supposed to put your own on to help other people. I'm stood there looking at it like this and I'm just praying, just going, come on God, come on God. Come on God, please, thank you. Thank you for dying across me. I'm, I'm sorry for the things. Like Three minutes it probably took me before I actually grabbed the one thing that's going to save my life. The one thing that's probably going to keep me alive. It took me three minutes to realise that this is the actual lifeline. The thing about the lifeline, the thing about the oxygen is that you have to grab it to pull it towards you. You make the choice to make the air flow. That's the point. You grab it, you pull it towards it, then you put it on. That releases the oxygen for you to be able to breathe. I then suddenly put it on, stuck it on my mouth, literally start going through the cloud, and the whole thing fills with smoke. So I'm looking out the window, Paul, just thinking, this, this plane's on fire. This is game over, literally. I didn't realise that when the oxygen comes down, it's an explosion of gases that fill the plane, but it filled it all full of smoke. So I'm looking out, just thinking, game over. Literally couldn't see what was going on. Bang, hit the runway, bouncing down the runway. Come off and my hands have gone green. Rue looks at me in tears and he's like, do we have to get back on a plane? I was like, we've got to get to sound check, bro. We're like, we, we need to get going. The pilot comes off and he says, ladies and gentlemen, at, at 37,000 feet, the fuselage got pierced from the outside. Something pierced the fuselage. So we were going to implode up there as in the air would have gone. And I had to get you below 10,000 feet before I passed out. Because if I pass out, we all die. And you pass out and then we're, we're all dead and no one knows, knows anything about it. He said, so I had to get you on the ground. But I had these two thoughts. Just thinking about today's own it and eternity. First one, the lifeline. It's in front of me, just banging, shaking in the wind. Why in the world didn't I grab that lifeline sooner? Why did it take me three minutes to realise in my small little brain, whoa, this is the one thing that's going to help me go from existing to truly living. This is the one thing that's actually going to save my life. And yet I'm staring at it. Do, 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 do. So many of us hear the gospel so many times. Ba, 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 ba. We don't reach out and grab it. It's our choice. We have to grab it and pull it towards us for us to go from existing to really living. The second thought I had... Why, when everybody thought that we were going to die, why did everybody pray? The whole plane prayed. Like, I was looking around. I was that inquisitive about it. I was like, even though I thought I was going to die, I was like, you're all praying. Why, 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 when someone walks up and stubs their toe, why is it Jesus Christ is the first thing that comes out of their mouth? Why, when something happens, oh my God, did you see that? I'm sorry, I'm not blaspheming. I'm just using the example. 
Why does that come out? Because there's a God-shaped hole in here that we stuff with everything else when actually the only thing that's going to fill it is God and knowing that we have eternity and knowing we have so much more to live for that when the lights go out, everybody wanted to know there was something more to life than this. Everybody on the plane. I got off and there was like non-Christians, they're all necking tequila to get back on the next plane because they were so scared. But I sat and I said, why, why did you pray? And they said, because I just thought it was game over. I need to know there was something more. The Bible puts it this way in Ecclesiastes when it says, yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to the end. In the time we have left, I want us to explore three ways that you as a disciple of Christ, us as a church, we can take ownership of eternity. Okay, there's a story in Acts about Peter and John. It says in verse one of chapter three, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. But what I'll give you, sorry, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened and he jumped up, stood to his feet and he began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realised it was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Here is a miracle in motion that happened. I want to take three lessons from that story to help us understand how we can own eternity. And at the end of this message, we are going to pray together over the Christmas flyer that... Rafaro helped us launch today and we're going to pray that this Christmas we own eternity. We've got two of our campus pastors who are expecting babies next year. Lee and Lausanne, our Chester campus pastors and Josh and Carly, third time expecting a baby as well. And they are doing a lot of work in preparation for the start of life. But I wonder if we could take ownership, and I know it's sobering and almost a little bit down, but this is where faith comes in. I wonder if we could take responsibility in preparing for the end of life, for eternity. So the first thing, okay, the first lesson we can learn is if you want to own eternity, you have to come. You have to come or position yourself. The Bible says Peter and John went to the temple. They positioned themselves in an environment that valued, if not their main business, was eternity. I don't know what you think about our church. I hope you like it. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you're enjoying the journey to finding home in our church and you like the things that we like. 
But whether you kind of know yet or not, I want to give you a newsflash. We exist as a church for the business of eternity. Every single one of those 150,000 people worldwide is a person with a soul and a family and friends and a life. And we care about every single one of them in our city as a church. And so a good way for you to say, I'm going to own eternity is to be in the habit of coming to a place where we care and strategize and pray and serve and love and give everything we can for the sake of that eternity. Come to church every week. Imagine if Peter and John had seen a sale at B&Q that day. Imagine if Peter and John had a better offer or a late night the night before. The miracle would never have happened or maybe because God's faithfulness, he would have worked it out another way. But Peter and John got to play their part in a miracle because they were faithfully going, I'm about the business of eternity and I know that happens at church. So I dare you to build into your life a habit of coming to church every week. And why don't you push the boundary and come early? <laughs> we say that Sunday is the first day of the week. We say in our services, we put praise at the start of the service. So arriving early for church means you don't miss the praise and it means the first thing you do for your whole week is put God front and centre. It's not the warm-up for the preacher. It's not a little bit of a thing to fill the gaps while people are finding their seats. It is a stake in the ground that this day to next Sunday, God is first. You want to own eternity? Come to church. Second one we wanted to, to kind of highlight is this word see. And I don't know whether you saw in the passage the line where Peter and John looked at him intently. They saw it. What they, what they didn't have was money. But what they did have was this message that was going to literally physically and spiritually save this guy. And they saw it in him. Sometimes, and I do this, don't get me wrong, I'm an evangelist. My job is to be an evangelist. I, 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 go, I go into schools and festivals and take the life-changing message of Jesus to young people through music because that, that's my calling. And a calling is what you're made for, whereas a career is what you're paid for in some senses. But this calling on my life is to go and see these kind of things. But that's not limited to me. We can do it in church. Like so many, so many times I can be completely blasé about, oh yeah, I'm coming in because I'm just going to come and I'm going to stand and I'm going to receive. And I've missed out on actually praying for someone else. I do it all the time, trust me. I've missed out on seeing the opportunity to, to maybe encourage someone else to see them on their journey into eternity and for them to, like they said, looked at him intently. You may think it's not your job, but um, this, this morning I was looking at, um, I was reading Acts and Philip and the eunuch. And uh, Philip sees the eunuch and the eunuch's actually reading the Bible. Now, it's almost as if someone had teed up the eunuch, teed him up for Philip to just knock him out of the park. And I just thought that these opportunities that we get like the, the Christmas show, the, the Sunday services, this is almost like a teeing up of us guys. So then God does the, does the spiritual, we, He does the miraculous, we do the physical, we invite, we get involved and bang, we get the opportunity to knock it out of the park. When he jumped in the, in, the, in the cart with the unit, the unit was actually reading all about who? Jesus. 
And I'm there just going, Lord, please give us those opportunities where we walk up to somebody and they've just had an encounter somewhere and I'm the one that you've teed it up and I'm able to go, yo, do you know what? There's a God that loves you for being you, designed you, knows every single head that's on your head, sent, you, get, sent His Son Jesus so that when He died, you can walk free. That's a tee up, bang, out of the park. And to me, I was just thinking that this C moment is, we get these opportunities in classes where um, young people walk in and we don't know where they're from, what background they've had and just, it's just last Monday in, uh, in a school, a high school, and a year 10 DM'd us after the lesson on Instagram. And she said this, Hi, my name's X, and I'd like to share my experience recently and how you've really impacted my life. I don't want to start this on a depressive manner, but I feel like you really deserve to know how much this message has impacted my life in such a little time. On Monday, I tried to overdose at 1am in the morning. I felt lost and like no one cared. I spent the rest of the week with bad attendance, terrible behaviour, bad reports and low moods. I finally returned to school on Friday and I was told a band was playing. I didn't know who you... This is obviously in kids' language. I didn't know who you was. <laughs> and I didn't know about you playing until I sat in the hall. And I originally thought it was a bunch of sixth formers in a band. But oh my days, I was really amazed when I heard about your... And when I heard about your concert, me and my mates ditched our plans and came down. I truly believe something inside of me switched when I came to the gig. I've never really had any strong religious beliefs and I thought I genuinely deserved to die. I'd relapsed earlier that week and had scarred, scars littered across my body where pain on the inside had been expressed on the outside. Going to your concert on Friday at Kingsgate Church, think of it as audacious. My mood's been better. I feel like God's impacted my life and it's really improved. I'll be returning on Friday for your other thing at Kingsgate, which was the discipleship thing. And I'd really like to thank you for helping me so much in such little time. Sophie. So good. You get 45 minutes to share something with a young person that is giving up on life. And it's almost like God teed it up. And we have this beautiful moment to tank it out of the park. But we have to see. Yeah. The challenge for us as believers is that we can think it's Lynn's job or the pastor's job or basically someone else's job. It would have been way more convenient if Peter and John had some money because then they could just meet the presenting need, which was, I need money. But Peter and John, they'd spent time with Jesus and they knew that the presenting need was not the real need and that they had to be inconvenienced in such a way that they were able to meet the real need. And I just want to be honest with you and say that there are quicker and easier ways to tick off your list of doing something good. You could do this and you could do that and you could maybe donate this and you could maybe donate that and I'm not making light of those things. But what we're talking about is asking God to inconvenience us in a way that we have to value eternity above everything else. We have to come so we're positioned in an atmosphere of faith and then from the house, when you go from here, you've got to open your eyes and see and when the inconvenient opportunity comes along, instead of just going, yeah, I've got some change. Yeah, I've got something that will just help you a little bit. We've got to remember to see eternity 
and say, I'm going to go out of my way. We're going to be challenging you to invite people to our shows at Christmas. That might mean picking them up. It might mean going early. It might mean coming to two shows. It might mean buying more than one ticket. It might mean being inconvenienced. But because we've seen the opportunity as a chance to change eternity, we're willing to do it. Come see and the last one, Linz, is go. Last week, um, <clears throat> I had this beautiful experience where um, I walked out of church and, uh, and I was going to the pub to watch the Man United game. I've got a bunch of school dads that go to the pub to watch the games and we'll sit there and have a little bit of fun and watch United and watch Arsenal. Any Arsenal fans, top of the league, but just saying, nice one. Um, and, uh, and I walked out and, and I turned to Molly and I said, Molly, I haven't got a coat, like it's going to be cold. And she said, oh, here's a big red audacious jacket to the pub. And I looked and Glyn went, you're not, you're, not, you're not ashamed of your church, are you, mate? And I was like, oh, no. So I put, anyway, put the jacket on. It's got audacious church, audacious written right across the back. Walk into the beach pub in Chilton. There's 20 lads all stood there. Literally two, three, four, five people come up and go, yo, you go to church? Looking like that, you go to church? I'm like, yeah, I'll go to church. And no, wait, I said... What, 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 what's this thing? Like, why, why, is this, why is this such a big deal for me as an evangelist to have church written on my chest? I wasn't that bothered at all. It was, it was quite a nice coat and I've actually kept it because you're not getting it back. Um, and I just had this, I had this moment where Matthew 5, 14 became more real to me than ever. I, I run an organisation called Light, which is taking the life-changing message of Jesus to young people through music. And this is one of our touchstone verses. It says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And I kind of thought about it a little bit like this. I've got this little prop here. Is that we have um, church and church can be this. Rafael, you're good, you're good for coming on stage, aren't you, Mr. Santa? Just come here for a second, mate. This is the right time to come on stage, by the way. So me and Rafaro, right? Me and Rafaro, we're in church. Let's get the bowl on the red. So we put it over and then we get these opportunities where suddenly, ah, oh, do you know what? We've got a Christmas thing coming up. Leg out and go and get someone. Go and get someone, go and get someone, go and get someone. Quick, quick, quick. Bring two people up. Bring two people up. I'll bring up uh, Zoe and uh, Helen. Helen, come to the stage. Quick, quick, quick. Get under, get under my bowl. Get under my bowl. Quick, quick, quick. We get into church. We get into Sundays. And then suddenly we're back under. This isn't big enough. Suddenly we're back under the bolt and oh look, isn't it cosy under here? Isn't it a nice atmosphere where we're just like chilling together? It's really not, is it? But quick, an event happens, go and grab a couple of people, just a couple of people, bring them back up on stage. I don't, don't care, Parker, no not Parker, what's, what's, what's your other one's boy's name? Parker, yeah Parker, you come up as well, get a young person, get Molly involved. You see, and then as soon as people come up, we have this opportunity, we invite them into church and then what happens? The bowl, well there's about 50 of you. The bowl then goes back on our heads and suddenly we're in our nice little comfort zone, like in our silo. Oh, this is cool now. Like we're, this is where we're at. When actually what that verse says, it says, no, 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 no. Take the bowl off your head. Let your light shine. Let it shine for the world to see. Go out and tell people. Don't keep that concealed into in here. Thanks, man. I know it's just a, a bit of a smelly, stood next to Rafaro smelly um, example. Um, and, and I feel like when that ball comes back on is that that's so easy for, for me to walk into church and go, oh, it's safe. 
This is a safe place for me to go and worship God. And this is a safe place. When actually, it doesn't say just one time. So if, if an Illuminate tour happens and one time we go and grab people and we bring them back in. No, no, no. It says, take the bowl off your head. Let your light shine so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Put on a big red audacious jacket. Walk into a pub. Be that person in that environment. Be that person in your community, in your environment. Do you know what? Out of everything that you say, 9% of what you say is what you say. The rest of what you say is your body language. The way that you are fist pumping, high-fiving, smiling, talking, chatting, open gestures, open hands to people in your workplace, in your schools, that speaks volumes about the light shining through you over anything to do with what you're actually coming out of your mouth. What comes out of your mouth is the stuff that tees it up and you smack it out of the park. When they see your good deeds, that's, that's you. That's your, your body language. That's what you're saying. That's what you're communicating to people. But we do have these opportunities that are lamp on a stand moments. We do have these Christmas things that come up, these Christmas carol concerts, and we have things at Easter, and we have... But let's not just take our bowl off one time and go, whoa, quick, let's go and invite people, and let's bring them back in, and stick the bowl back on. No, let's just take the bowl off. Let's go for it. So what I'd love to do is just in this moment here is for everybody to grab your flyer and just in your mind now, just in the quiet while we're playing, thinking of the family, thinking of your neighbour, thinking of your work colleague, thinking of someone at school that you could invite into this space where it's home, it's family, it's safe. It's somewhere where they're going to hear the life-changing message of Jesus. Just thinking now for the next 30 seconds, who can we pray for? Who can we pray about? Who can we invite? Who can we physically say, come, come see. And now let's go. Who, who, who's that person in your life? And I know, I know this is sometimes difficult for people because even as an evangelist, I find it hard talking to my mates about it. I, I find it difficult to, to say, yeah, you know what, I'm a church boy and I'm churchy. I, I, I like Jesus. I think what he stands for is standing for something rather than falling for everything that's out there. And I, and I find that difficult. So what I thought was, just as, we, just as we stand here now, just once you've thought of someone, and once you've thought, actually, do you know what, I'm gonna stand up, I'm gonna pray, just hold on to your flyer. And we're gonna make, make a stand where we're gonna to pray together over this. Just if that's someone at school, if that's a school dad, if that's someone you know, if that's someone that you know needs to know Jesus, maybe someone's hurting that you know, a family member, we talk about this um, self-harm stuff. Maybe this is for the young people. This self-harm stuff, when Jesus went to the cross, He took 39 lashes across His back so you don't have to cut. He took the death when He died on the cross so you don't have to give up on life. Maybe there's someone you know in your life that's going through stuff. Depression, maybe you know someone's been really on the edge of, of giving up on life. And this is your opportunity to reach out and say, hey, listen, there's a Jesus. There's a God that loves you for being you. So just as, we, just as we stand thinking and praying, once you've got your person, once you've got your family, would you make a, like a declaration of this is what I'm going to do. I'm actually physically going to do something about it. Once you've got that person, just stand up to your feet and then we'll pray. Once you've thought of who you're going to invite, this is like a line in the sand moment for each one of us to say, actually, I'm stepping across and saying, yes, I'm going to physically do this. And then we'll pray. Father God, thank you for every person that's represented by these flyers in here. Thank you for every 
family, every dad, every, every person that's struggling, every colleague, every teacher, every neighbour, every family member. Lord Jesus, I pray right now for boldness in this place to take the bowl off our heads and let our light shine, to invite that young person, to invite that neighbour, that colleague, to bring them into this place where they're gonna hear your life-changing message that they are worth something, that they are designed here for a reason, that it is about eternity. Inspire us with the right words at the right time for the right people. Give us those two-edged sword moments where you tear up and we can start talking to them, Father God, and sharing your good news. Lord, I pray that this place will be packed with people that don't know you this Christmas. I pray that the Christmas message, that you are the Saviour of the world, that came incarnate as a baby, would mean so much to so many people this Christmas, that we'd see the city change, Father God, bit by bit, as we do our bit to go and make disciples of nations. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen. Just remain standing. You know, this year we moved our Christmas show a week earlier than what we have done in previous years. And the reason why is so that after the show, we can say, hey, we've got a carol service next week if you wanna come. And that's good. But what it means is, is now the 20th of November and you did part one of today's message. You came, you're in church, well done. Our prayer as Linz was just leading us is that this week you will see the people that God has put in your life and you will own their eternity by introducing them to Jesus through this vehicle. But now with just a couple of Sundays, 20th, 27th, 4th of December, 10th and 11th, just a few weeks, now you gotta go. That's the go part of this message. And we can't do it for you. It's not Lynn's job to invite your mates. It's not Pastor Glynn's job to invite his mates. They got their own mates to invite. But every single person, as we just go back into this worship song, Holy Spirit come, I pr I, I'm praying that every single person gets this revelation to come, see, go. Come on, raise your hands. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. 